0: Hello friends! Welcome to Feeling This Life. We're a family support podcast that dives deep into the triumphs, challenges, and strategies that are part of the lives of those who care for children with blindness and visual impairments. I'm Paige Maynard, and I'm a teacher of the visually impaired and an early interventionist at VIPS, Visually Impaired Preschool Services.
1: And i'm dr kathy smith and i also have been a teacher of students with visual impairment for many years and now i am the director of research at anchor center for blind children
2: i am jenny castanier and i am the family services coordinator at vits i am the mother of three girls and my youngest has a visual impairment we have a very special guest that I'm super excited about. Um, We have one of our VIPs moms, Brooklyn Spirito. Her and her husband, Nick, live in Indiana. And they have two adorable little girls, Nadine and Vivian. And she is just going to share her story with us today um, about her everyday life with her sweet girls. So welcome, Brooklyn. I'm so excited you're here.
3: Hi, thank you guys so much for having me. I'm excited to uh, share my story. So I'll kind of just start from the very beginning. Um, so our our journey to a diagnosis um, for Nadine and Vivian was um, a pretty long and hard one. It was at Nadine's two month appointment where sort of everything changed. Um, as a new anxious mom, I laid little Nadine on the doctor's table to be examined and my doctor began examining her just, you know, like the normal, what you think of. Um, but for some reason it was taking a really long time so i just kind of started watching her and noticed she was really focusing on nadine's eyes um and i I went ahead and i just said is is everything okay and she said well what do you notice about her eyes anything you're concerned about um and at that time i had noticed that nadine really wasn't making eye contact there were very few times she looked into my eyes and when she did it seemed as though she was kind of looking through them um not so much focusing on them and I, I went ahead and told her that, and um, like the worst case scenario kind of came to my mind. And I remember asking my doctor, I said, you know, is she blind? And her response will be one that uh, truly never leaves my mind. Um, she said it's too soon to tell, right? It wasn't that, that sharp, quick, no, she's not blind. Like that's ridiculous. That's, you know, I think we're, we're thinking way too ahead of the game. And no, it was just, it's too soon to tell. So I, as I was trying to kind of calm down, I noticed she was still examining Nadine and I could just tell something was was probably not right. Well, little did I know that that day was the start to a three year journey finding a diagnosis. Nadine's eyes began doing more and more concerning things. Um, I'll never forget when she was four months old and her eyes began going back and forth horizontally uncontrollably which we know as nystagmus now um and at that point she also started turning one eye in and keeping the other one straight and we now know this is true business but the first eye doctor we saw um told us to come back when she was six months and he he really wasn't too concerned um he said that you know babies take months for their eyes to develop so i wouldn't i wouldn't be too concerned about anything right now but yeah we'll check her again at six months Well, of course, being the anxious mom I was, I said, no, we're getting another opinion. Um, So we found a doctor who specialized in pediatrics. He prescribed Nadine glasses. um, And I thought that this was going to change her world. I thought, you know, all those videos that you see of those babies who get glasses for the first time and their face just lights up and they just smile and they see the world clearly for the first time. Well, we put the Nadine, the glasses on Nadine, and um, there was little to no reaction whatsoever. Um, so we kept moving forward. Um, it was then five different opinions we got from different eye doctors, multiple times being told it was just nystagmus. it was just strabismus. Um, they're just severely farsighted. And after hours of research, countless drives to Michigan for vision therapy. I finally kind of just, me and my husband really tried to accept that there was nothing majorly wrong, and maybe we were overreacting, although we did keep asking ourselves why the glasses weren't helping much, and why Nadine would easily mistaken objects for other things, why she continuously pressed on her eyes. And at this time, I was eight months pregnant with Vivian, so we decided to take a step back Trust that there was nothing wrong, even though my gut told us that there was. Um, So it was obvious Nadine had severe vision issues from two months on, but it wasn't until Vivian was born with the same eye issues that made us realize that this had to be genetic. So our journey, it started again. Um, We called another well-known pediatric ophthalmologist in Indianapolis, and he saw both Nadine and Vivian. He didn't seem too concerned about the girls and their eye issues. Um, At the end of the appointment, I asked him if there was some sort of genetic testing we could do considering both girls had the same issues. He went on to explain how the eye world is doing some really great genetic work. And he would go ahead and make a referral for us to have it done. But he was even pretty sure that there was nothing majorly wrong. Um, So as we waited for Riley's in Indianapolis to contact us about genetic testing, I, as you know, an anxious mom, continue to dig online for an answer. And one day I came across a severe form of retinal dystrophy called Leber's congenital amaurosis. So Leber's congenital amaurosis, LCA for short, um, never have I ever heard of this. And I can't tell you the number of times I have typed their exact symptoms in Google to see what would appear. Never, ever did LCA pop up, not once. Um, As I continued reading more about LCA, I began feeling really sick. Um, I began crying and my heart sank, and I knew that my two little girls had this. I knew that they were going blind. Um, The main symptoms of the disease were nystagmus, strabismus, extreme farsightedness, and children pressing on their eyes with the back of their hands. They met all of the criteria. We knew it was LCA, and after a flat ERG and genetic testing, both girls were finally diagnosed with a rare form of retinal dystrophy called Leber's congenital amaurosis um, due to a CRB1 gene mutation. So we received this diagnosis on August 20th of 2019. Nadine was three at the time, and Vivian was one. A CRB1 genetic mutation is rare, and there's only about 300 cases in the U.S., Um, of this genetic mutation. So LCA impacts the cones and the rods. Um, The first thing that kids lose is their night vision and their ability to see detail and color. And eventually they lose it all. It isn't clear the age that this will take place, but we've been told that it can happen quickly or over the course of many years. It tends to vary for each child. This disease is recessive and the chances of Nick and I both passing our bad copy of the CRB1 gene was only 25%. We saw a few retinal dystrophy specialists and they were very honest about the severity of this diagnosis and what it meant. They were honest and told us that we will be facing the stark reality that our children will one day see nothing but some light perception. They also shared that there isn't currently a cure for this specific mutation and it was best to accept it and get them started in low vision blind services. Both girls currently have an acuity of about 2,500. I mean, as you can imagine, this, this flipped our world upside down. We never imagined having blind children. And if we were being honest, we felt completely lost. But what amazed us is how resilient our little girls are. Having poor vision didn't seem to bother them. It was normal to them. They mostly do everything kids do, just need some assistance. And because we didn't get a diagnosis until Nadine was three, she was too old to participate in VIPS but we were thankful that we found out about it and realized that it was something Vivian could participate in. When you're giving this type of diagnosis, it seems as though everyone is so busy feeling sorry for you and everyone unintentionally makes you feel as though your child is so different from others. I'll never forget my first IEP meeting for Nadine when she started preschool. She was three and we had just received the diagnosis. We sat around a circular table. It was me and about five teachers and staff members. I was told that I needed to order her a cane and that they would be prepping Nadine for Braille. They talked about how they would do things differently for her. She would get to sit in the front of the classroom and they explained how it will be great for the other children to look at someone like Nadine and watch how she learns. They explained how I shouldn't worry because I'll be amazed at how the other children step up and help her if she needs it. And they talked about how the playground may be unsafe and here are, here's what they can do to make it a, play, a safe place for her. I knew all of this was good, and I was so thankful that they were taking her condition seriously. But it wasn't easy to hear; it was a reality check. I laughed and I sat and I cried. It felt as though this diagnosis was only going to set my girls back, and they would never live—they would live their whole life struggling. Since getting their diagnosis, there have been very few people in our lives who have given us hope about it. But Amy Nichols with VIPS, she was one of them. For the first time. A professional didn't look and tell me about all the things my girls would need help with or how they would be different. She really took on the approach of let's help them thrive instead of let's help them survive. It was an optimistic approach. It was one that was encouraging and full of hope. Every conversation we had with her was authentic and genuine, and she cared so much for the girls without ever meeting them in person. She pointed out how great they were and how smart they are and how she would just constantly give Vivian compliments. She didn't just focus on their diagnosis. She focused on who they were as individuals. Her kindness and knowledge is exactly what we needed during this time in our lives. We needed someone to get behind us and encourage us. She pointed out so many things that vi- that I would have never realized about Vivian and gave us so much guidance um, on how to move forward. She cheered Vivian on. So we were just so thankful for the experience that VIPS gave us after this sort of diagnosis. Um, and I I mean, I still think about it to this day, just how, how helpful Amy was after receiving this diagnosis and just having somebody that just, it felt like she just had her back. And she was just, she was ready to step in and help us. So yeah, that's my story in a nutshell.
2: Thank you so much, Brooklyn. You were just such an amazing mom and, Um, everything that you've been through with your girls it's just um, as a mom with a child of a visual impairment it's just so nice to hear someone else's story and and just to be able to find um, hope and know that you're not alone.
0: It was so cool to hear your story Brooklyn Um, and one of the kind of I guess the themes that I got as you're talking is how much advocacy that you practiced and how much advocacy I think that it took to get some answers for girls and to get them the services and things like that, that they needed. Um, so one of the things that I was curious about were the types of feelings that you had as you were getting ready to advocate or like during advocacy. And, you know, it's sometimes that, you know, advocacy is this like amazing uh, happy word, but then in the middle of it, um, it might maybe be different than that. So I'm just curious about how it was for you and how you felt during those times when it was time to speak up.
3: Yeah, um, I agree with you. Like, I think advocacy from the outside looks really almost optimistic and um, just sort of like fun and I got this. And, you know, yeah. there's, there's no grief under all of this. But no, that couldn't be further from the truth. Um, as we were going through this, I mean, this was an emotional roller coaster. I actually think this is one of the first times I've read my story and I've not lost it Um, because it it was one of those things where you just know something is wrong and you're just not willing to stop until you get an answer. You know, it seemed like everybody wanted to focus so much on the symptoms and nobody Mm -hmm. wanted to get to the cause. Um, and I, I, I mean, I know levers is so rare and I know a doctor, a lot of doctors maybe don't see it often. So, you know, it's, it, I'm not surprised that it was missed as much as it was, but it was a lot of, um, there was a lot of debating at at one point I had, I had one of the doctors tell me that my girls didn't have nystagmus. Um, and I, I was like, no, they do. (laughs) Um, (laughs) They definitely do it was I mean, I grew a lot, my husband grew a lot during this process. Um, it showed us that, you know, we we have to advocate for our kids. And, you know, we have to we have to be the one to get them what they need and see the doctors that they need to see. And we were we were really willing to do whatever it took, but there was a lot of tears throughout those those years. Um, and there still is. And there was a lot of just coming to the realization of how in the world is this our story? Um, I've, I've met one blind person before, one, and I hardly knew him. And I mean, what a tough, what a tough thing to not have your vision and all of just the, the sort of assumptions you make about blindness. You know, I remember when, when I first was, was outside and I, I was actually laying in our hammock and I was just reading and I was searching for their symptoms, which is when I came across levers. But I remember thinking like, as soon as I read that, they're not gonna ever see their children. They're not going to see all these photos I take of them. They're like, it just, then it, the list went on and on and on. Um, and as much as we didn't want that diagnosis, I wanted an answer uh, because I wanted to know how to move forward. And I was sick of, I was really sick of feeling stagnant mm-hmm. and stuck. So no, it was not, um, I had so many people come up and be like, you know, you're just, you're so amazing and you advocate and you just seem like, like you're just taking this thing by the reins. And I'm like, I am falling apart over here. <laughs> <laughs> um, I we are just getting by trying to figure this out. No we were we were very lost and confused. there was there was a lot of hard hard emotions that we that we dealt with going through this.
0: Yeah, I think I hear you saying that advocacy can be really emotional yeah. and you might look like you're able to say the right things and you are you know able to talk about what's going on but inside there's kind of this like internal, uh kind of coming to terms with what you're actually having to do to get what you need for your kids so yeah.
3: yeah absolutely
2: i think it's important to note too how she said she had only met one blind person before in our life because um i see that so much like in other parents that i meet and um through my work as well like most people the first person with a visual impairment they meet is their own child so on day one they're just kind of looking Um, for what to do and resources. And I love how you talked about thriving versus surviving Um, because I think at first you just are, you know, how will I survive? How will we do this? Um, But I think you're just such a good example of working so hard for your kids to thrive. Like your little girls are just the most precious, sweet, cute little things running around. Like they're so smart And and you know to get to a point where that's the goal for our kids um, either as a teacher or as a parent that um, it's not about survival. We want them to thrive and we want them to succeed.
3: Yeah it um, you know when after getting that diagnosis and kind of just researching kids with this and hearing just tragic stories of these blind children and You know, how years ago they used to have to go to a blind school and they were kind of separated from their peers, and how many things have changed. Um, And I came across just some stories about parents who really decided to take this and not see it as a negative thing. Um, And then Amy coming into our lives and just things that she would say. You know, she would be so excited about Braille, she'd be so excited about all of these things that Nadine and Vivian were going to learn, and it was going to be great, and they were going to be able to read. And they were going to get by we were going to figure it out and they were going to do wonderful um but it we we really had to get out of that mindset of wow this diagnosis is is a grim one this isn't one that we want but this is what it is and what are we go what are we going to do with this you know there's there it's easy for me to say i could sit and cry about it for days for months after receiving this diagnosis and just wanting to to hide from the world um, but I knew that wasn't healthy for them. Getting this diagnosis was so much harder on my husband and I than it was the girls, <laughs> right? Like, it, they they had no idea. Nothing changed for them, but all of our sort of goals for them for their future changed. And I thought, I need we need mm. to re we need to change our perception on this a little bit, just because these are things that we want them to do, and these are goals we want them to reach they are capable of so many other things. Um, for instance, Nadine, she plays the violin. And I mean, she's five and she's already picking it up and she's doing it wonderfully. And Vivian does flips everywhere and I got to get her in some sort of gymnastics, but it just, mm-hmm. um, they're capable of doing things, vision or no vision. It doesn't change who who, de- who these kids are.
1: I think you kind of have a, a very unique situation where you have one child that you didn't participate in early intervention and one now that you are and i wonder if there's anything that you would say to parents who are out there listening about um how your experience is different
3: well i think one of the things um that i i am so thankful for is that nadine is i mean she's just her comprehension is really really um kind of beyond her years so i feel so lucky in that she picks up on things so quickly because i I think she'd be so much more behind than even where vivian is with certain things um because vivian had much more of that early intervention and how important that is um to get your kids started in it and I just want to say, I get that you want to run from those things. Like none of us want or you know, to admit that our one-year-old is going to need help. Um, right. That there could be something wrong visually, but just giving them that help is only going to benefit. And it's, it's hard to work through those feelings sometimes of, I mean, even with the, the IEP, right. I'm like, I don't want to be here. I don't want to be listening to this. I don't want to accept that this is our reality But at the end of the day it helps our kids so i have to be here and i have to work through these feelings um but that early stuff for vivian was so helpful because amy was able to say but brooklyn she's doing this because of this do you see how she just did that and i'd be like oh my word yeah like i that makes sense like why she did that with her vision that makes sense why how she sees things how she explores things and she would just pick up on all these little things that Vivian did that were so smart and so great that I would just overlook all of the time. So I I started using all these things Amy would pick up on and I would then talk about them with Vivian and I would also encourage her with those things. And and yeah, Nadine didn't have that, but I'm thankful Nadine um, is so smart that she was able to just kind of pick right up. She was able to just kind of to get right where she needed to be. I mean, she's at, I think the middle of first grade level like reading level. So, and she's in kindergarten. Um, so she just, I, I was very thankful that Nadine was able to, to kind of get caught
1: up to speed fairly quickly. Well, that was great. Um, it was fun to hear her, her, um, experience and the difference in her experience, I wanted to bring up that um, I was really struck by the fact that Brooklyn said um, that the doctors told her that they wouldn't be able to tell anything until um, her babies were were six months. And I just wanted to bring up that we're doing some um, in Denver. At the Rocky Mountain Hospital for Children, we're collaborating um, with the NICU there. And we're actually using a vision screening called the NAVIG, which you can do a vision screening on a baby um, uh, under 40 weeks old. So before they're even term. Um, And we're very excited about that. So um, we've been going around the country and doing some training. So hopefully, um, it's interesting to think about... um, So how would Brooklyn's journey have been different if somebody would have been able to tell her right away that Mm -hmm. her older daughter had um, a definite vision impairment? Um, Because I think it's not unusual for new parents to be focused on well if we just knew why this is happening or what is the cause um that we can do something about it even if you can't jenny do you have any insight on that
2: i mean i think that is i mean my our daughter is seven and we still don't have an actual diagnosis. Like we know she has microthalmia and congenital cataracts, but as far as all these different eye conditions that come together with her, are they like, a, are they a thing? Are they a, some sort of syndrome? Um, is it something that will progressively get worse? We still don't have answers on that. Like even with genetic testing um and she's kind of stayed like at a baseline since her original test testing like when she first you know when they said she's 20 over 200 or whatever she's kind of stayed um level at that but it's just you know if we could know a specific diagnosis if we could know what we're
1: looking at i feel like we could do so much more yeah interesting um I think, I think you're not alone. <laughs> and I think there's a <laughs> lot of parents who feel that way. But the, the good news is, uh, you know, it sounds like Brooklyn and you and I know many other parents have just kind of moved forward. And this is who they are. And we're going to do the best that we can. And of course, you all do fabulous work.
2: I I mean, I've said this before on one of our other episodes, but I just think that it's important to remember that they're still kids and they deserve every single opportunity that every other kid does. And um, like I've said, we really forget sometimes that Hannah has a visual impairment because it's just part of our daily life and we include her in it
1: and just she does what everyone else does, so... I think that's super that's important. important. I think there's um apps actually been some research that the attitudes that parents have about expectations for, you know, having high expectations and that their children participate in everything that happens shows that those are the uh, are the adults with visual impairment who are the most functional and who grow up to have good jobs and, and integrate in society. So sounds like you're doing the right thing. (laughs) Well, thank you. I don't, I don't know.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm thankful for both of you all talking with us today. And I'm thankful for Brooklyn and her story and just being able to talk about what advocacy really looks like in real life and how your feelings and all of the background stuff behind that really impacts how it ends up going and, and, and how you press forward and, and how you see your life and your child and, and all of the good things that are able to come out of that. Thank you so much for listening to Feeling This Life. Please consider subscribing to Feeling This Life wherever you get your podcasts. And please take a minute or two to give us your feedback and your ideas for future episodes by completing our survey, which is linked in the show notes. There, you'll also find ways to get in contact with us, and you'll find resources related to today's episode. If you'd like to support us in making more episodes of Feeling This Life, look for the donation link in the show notes. Please join us again next time for another episode of Feeling This Life life.